Podcast. I'm Ashley Nickel with the Packer and PMG, two trade publications covering fresh produce. And today we bring you a conversation with Roberta Anderson, Executive Vice President of Global Gap North America. We spoke with Roberta about how interest in social audits has grown over the years, the collaboration between buyers and suppliers to develop standards and audit frameworks, and more. This interview is part of our special content series, People First, a spotlight on social responsibility. Thanks as always for tuning in. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Roberta. Roberta, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ashley. It's my pleasure to do this today. Absolutely. And we're, we're excited for this conversation, Roberta, because as you know, the, the Packers been working on this new content series called People First, a spotlight on social responsibility. And um, I thought of you all over at uh, Global Gap because we actually we've been talking with Hugo Hayes over at Fives and he mentioned, you know, he had been at Global Gap before. And when we were listing out some different social responsibility certifications, he said, oh, you know, make sure you add Global Gap Grasp, you know, their social responsibility add on to your list of, of certifications. And so I'm excited to have you on to hear a little bit about, you know, how that came to be developed and, and what all it involves. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. We're, uh, Hugo has been a, a, a great proponent. We're, we're delighted that he was able to do an interview with you guys. And uh, I did take a look at that before and, and saw that he included Global Gap. And we're very well known in Europe uh, among European retailers, but not so well known here in the US and Canada yet. So this will give us a chance to talk about what we have, uh, have to offer. Very neat. And I know um, traditionally, of course, one of the first things that we saw, you know, a lot of private certifications pop up for was food safety, right, in the the previous decade or so. And um, it seems like in in recent years, we've been hearing more and more about social responsibility. So I was curious um, to hear from you, you know, how you guys developed that that grasp add-on and then kind of how interest in social audits has, has increased in recent years. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, Global Gap developed around the same time. A lot of others were paying a lot of attention to food safety issues, but Global Gap embraced a, a very comprehensive idea of what Gap or good agricultural practices is. So uh, from our beginning, which was over two decades ago, we were, uh, we were looking at a wide range of food safety, traceability, environment and worker health and safety components in our standards. So that's something that's um, uh, relatively unique for us uh, in the, when we're looking at the US market. Um, so we developed GRASP, let's see, it started about, uh, we, it took us five years to develop it between th- 2005, 2010. It was a, uh, a global effort. Um, it was originally funded by GIZ, which is a German uh, uh, agency. That's where our, a German development agency and, and that's where our headquarters is, is in Germany, Cologne, Germany. Uh, so it was originally prompted by a retailer uh, in Europe, but then many more retailers and producers got on board. So our approach to standards development is really this engagement of both the producer and the supply, or the producer side, the supply side, and the buying side to uh, bring them together to create practical solutions. So that's how it originally came by in a multi-stakeholder effort that took five years. Mm -hmm. 
And it's been growing since then. We've got, it's been growing a lot, actually, mostly um, driven by a European retailer commitment. We have over 100,000 producers at this point that have um, uh, grasp as the global gap add-on to their um, their integrated farm assurance uh, food safety standards. So the standard that covers the gap, including food safety, they add grass onto that to uh, include more social components as well. Uh, and that, that covers uh, 93 countries and 1.5 million workers. So it's having a, a pretty big impact at this point. And how have you seen the interest in, in particular, that social component of, of auditing? Has that increased dramatically in recent years? Did it kind of start before then? You know, what's been kind of the trajectory there? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that we will all recognize that social auditing became um, really started getting going in manufacturing, right? So, uh, and so we we saw more in the early 2000s uh, certifications that would give sort of a yes, no answer to basic social compliance considerations uh, uh, for manufacturing. And then some of the issues in agriculture became more and more uh, prevalent and people started paying more attention to issues about migrant workers and seasonal labor and, and some of the um, challenges that go with that. So uh, uh, we've seen more certifications, which also give that yes or no answer about meeting a certain bar of compliance and also risk assessment tools. Um, uh, to help identify where the risks are uh, with uh, social compliance um, in, in the marketplace. So Global Gap GRASP, uh, which is called, uh, it's Global Gap's Risk Assessment on, on Social Practice. That's what GRASP stands for. Uh, it is a risk assessment. So it's a different than a certificate and that it tells you uh, about your risk levels under various topics within, uh, within GRASP. And I know you mentioned, obviously, Global Gap is, is huge in Europe, a little bit, a little bit more um, in an introductory phase, maybe in, in the US. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences you think between those those markets and, and where would you say, you know, Europe is and the United States is kind of on that continuum of this? Yeah, I think that they've just come at it from a very different uh, angle. And I think I remember in Hugo's interview, he talked a little bit that as well. Um, so I think that the risk assessment approach is really being embraced in Europe more so. So let me tell you a little bit more about that. So, it, so I explained that a certificate will set a bar for where you need to demonstrate compliance. Whereas a risk assessment tool might say, okay, in the area of uh, you know um, uh, wage slips and, and paychecks, we have these are the, you know, is this fully compliant you know, or some kind of partially compliant or not compliant at all and notes about where that's at, you know, what, and so what it gives, it's a different structure that allows um, for the producers a better, more of a tool for managing their, their practices um, and identifying continuous improvement points. And it's on the flip side, it's a tool for retailers to decide for themselves, what are the topics that matter the most to us? And what is our risk threshold, you know? So not everyone's gonna have the same uh, level of concern. It may also be dependent on what the product is. So it's a little bit more of a nuanced, uh, you know, um, uh, 
suite of information you get from um, something like a risk assessment that we deliver. And, uh, and then whereas a certificate can be a little bit more, you know, clear, like if somebody has met all of these requirements, then they can um, supply us, a retailer may say. So um, what we do see is sometimes retailers were asked for a certain level of assessment for each of the um, each of the 12 major areas of consideration and grasp. So that's one sort of intermediary way of addressing it. And you touched on this a little bit earlier and I, I remember Hugo mentioning it as well was um, he appreciated about Global Gap kind of the uh, the process of, of how the standards are developed um, and the, the collaboration there between, you know, on the buy side, hey, this is what we're wanting yeah. to see. And then from the growers, like, well, that will be really difficult because of A, B, and C. How about this? And, you know, kind of that that back and forth. How, how is that sort of, um, uh, you know, it influenced what kind of the ultimate tool looks like for you guys? Thank, thanks for asking about that. That's really fundamental, not just for GRASP, but for our for Global Gap overall. So the organization from its founding has been uh, governed essentially by the producers and the buyers evenly. So it's it's required that our board of directors, for example, must be half suppliers or producers and half buyers. And the same goes for all our technical committees, which are the ones that, you know, are focusing on, say, fruit and vegetable production or aquaculture production, or we even have a technical committee just for grasp. They, um, they are the science, you know, guts behind um, uh, reviewing and, and approving our, our standards that, and those folks also have to be half producers and half buyers. Um, so it gives a very balanced approach in this industry that it, what it creates is a sense of um, industry ownership in the organization too. So we, we're, we're set up a, with uh, members that all contribute that, uh, to, that can contribute to the development process of the standards. And we also open our standards up broadly for anyone to be able to comment on. We have a, a rigorous you know, comment process and response to, to the many, 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 many comments we receive. Um, so I think that it, it can be tedious sometimes and, and it takes a long time to develop and then maintain. We're constantly having to adapt standards, right? But what we can feel at the end is confidence that the standard is doable, it's realistic for the producers, but it's meaningful to the buyers. So it helps to bridge that gap of understanding, which frankly is a big challenge in our industry. Um, so the process itself helps to bridge the gap and the outcome of the standard is, is, a, is a meaningful tool in the end that doesn't overstretch, uh, but does create meaningful change. So when, when a buyer wants, um, you know, wants one of their suppliers to, to be, be engaged in, in using this, mm -hmm. this grasp tool, what is that, what does that ask look like? Just, just as an example of like, is there a certain, like a certain place on the continuum of using that maybe that they want them to be or, or what is kind of the, the deliverable look like there? Uh, you mean, what does the producer need to do or? Yeah, like, like what might be, a, um, like you said, it's different from a certification. So what's kind of, um, you know, what's, what's presented to the, to the buyer or, or what, okay. what a buyer might ask for? 
Well, the first thing too, that's important to understand about GRASP is that it's what we call an add-on. So I don't think I explained that very well to start. Um, and it is, this is something that makes us unique among social compliance tools, I think. Global Gap, uh, its flagship standard, the one that most people know it for, is the Integrated Farm Assurance Standard. That's its technical name. And, and a lot of our the folks that are certified under Integrated Farm Assurance are under their fruit and vegetable production piece oh. of it, specifically. Not, we also have other pieces like aquaculture and other kinds of crops. And, uh, but fruit and veg is, a, without a doubt, our largest area of work. Um, within it, it has uh, worker health and safety components already. So even if you don't get GRASP, but you get Global Gap Integrated Farm Insurance certification, um, you're getting already some important safeguards to make sure that workers are protected, have the proper uh, um, equipment, have uh, appropriate break areas, have uh, uh, appropriate on-farm housing, uh, have um, even transportation within farm is looked at. So there is a, a general you know, coverage of some of those major worker health and safety concerns within IFA itself. Gotcha. So then what, 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 but there are things that are missing from that. So that, that matter to buyers and to, to suppliers, which are, um, we looked at the um, um, ILO conventions, uh, to, which is to, in order to develop what this sort of suite of require uh, criteria would look like. And they might, they would do, uh, look at things like I said before, wait, wages, uh, organizing, mm -hmm. uh, uh, worker representation, uh, uh, you know, re uh, procedures for issues that may arise um, and things that will, you know, get into details that cover uh, major concerns right now about uh, forced labor mm -hmm. uh, and, and child labor. Uh, so looking at those, those pieces as well. And so grasp, when a, a grower is asked to do grasp, they're asked to do that as a sort of extension of their bigger audit, right? For integrated farm assurance, um, which means that they will have maybe a few hours to a whole day, depending on the size and the number of workers um, added onto their audit, but it is still the same audit. It's still the same auditor who just has an expanded set of, you know, qualifications to be able to do this. Um, so they would build into um, their auditing a lot of, you know, uh, work with record keeping. There may be worker interviews, depending on the risk level. Um, there uh, a lot of um, demonstrating how they are making sure that those safeguards are in place. Um, and then they would receive the report uh, that includes, you know, how they assessed on the major points and, but that report is also available to what are designated in our system as grasp observers. So these are the retailers that want to see the reports. You can't just go publicly and access these private reports, obviously, but they do, we do have them available uh, through our database to retailers to see the full comments and everything from the, from the auditor. Yeah. 
So it sounds like a so yeah, a, a, a big addition in terms of transparency and like you say, going a little deeper on, on some of those practices, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know, not every buyer is going to want to see all of that. So they might just want to see like the top level. Did they overall, you know, how did they assess or how do they assess on individual? You can, you know, there are layers to it. Sure. Um, there's also ability to combine information, right? So you can have, uh, you could look at what's going on with Argentina's blueberry production or something. And then you can look at, you know, as a supplier, you can say, these are my, I'm sorry, as a, a buyer, you could say, these are my producers and then uh, aggregate that to get a sense of how, how things are, are, are there certain hotspots, for example, are there areas where there are topics that are especially challenging that we may need to focus on a little bit more? Gotcha. Very neat. And what does the, you know, what, what does kind of the, the cost structure look like um, for this? So say if someone's already going to go through and, and get that global gap um, certification, yeah. you mentioned the integrated um, farm worker assurance, yeah. and then they want to add the, the grasp, grasp tool on top of it. So the GRASP tool itself is a very small fee from Global Gap itself. That is, so we don't charge the grower directly, right? We, we um, work through certification bodies for administering all of our standards. Uh, so we work directly with CBs. The CBs, um, like I said, there was going to be, they're the ones that uh, send the auditors out, right? Um, the, so when I mentioned that it would be a few hours additional to maybe a day, um, and like I said, it really depends on the size of the operation, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, that's, it, it's the time of the auditor that is the most expensive thing, right? So even if Global Gap barely, it doesn't charge much for grasp, it's the time of the auditor that's going to cost more. So that depends on how big the operation is. Um, so, but what you, one thing to consider though, is that since it's, it's in combined with integrated farm assurance, you're not paying for a whole nother trip yeah. from the auditor. So that, that, so this, this, we used to focus a lot at Global Gap on harmonizing and like streamlining audit processes. So mm -hmm. that's why we have this, you know, add on structure. We collaborate with other organizations and, com and companies to try to eliminate duplication of what's being audited mm -hmm. and see how much we can pack into, you know, a more uh, streamlined, uh, compact approach so that growers can actually focus on growing as opposed to mm -hmm. responding, responding to auditors yes. all the time. Yes, well, because I've, I've heard the term audit fatigue thrown around, you know, I think especially in, in the U.S. Is that as much of a thing in, in Europe or is there just a lot more standardization? And, and I know global gap is, is a, is a big part of that. Uh, I think it's a problem everywhere, <laughs> um, unfortunately. And I guarantee from the producer perspective, it's a problem everywhere. Uh, I would say that um, there's uh, there seems to be more company level uh, specific approaches in the United States at this time. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to harmonize a bit more around that and see how we can, you know, cause a grower is gonna, or, you know, supplier is gonna supply to a whole lot of different buyers, including Europe and the US and Asia and elsewhere, right? Um, and not to mention all the different retailers just in the US. So 
So there's a lot of work we can do to, and I'm not suggesting that we choose a standard because I think choices are good for the producers. But if we could find um, tools that provide the kind of, you know, a, a, a multiple tools that could provide the kind of information that a retailer wants, the assurance level that they need, um, but leave it to the producers to select with one. Um, I think that that would be uh, save cost, certainly in our system here and, um, and, and, and cut down on some of that audit fatigue. And I was curious because you mentioned options are good, and and I've heard the same thing, you know, from from different uh, suppliers who will say, well, you know, we we think all of them have value. This one was just a better fit, you know, for us for our company structure. And I was just wondering, what are some of those, you know, factors that go into, you know, maybe maybe making this one over here a better fit versus this one for a given company? I don't know, even from you know size of the company to countries where they operate. You know, what what are some of the key factors there? I, I think that so what are the it's like what are the major differences so so some I, I've talked a lot about this difference between like a certificate program versus a risk assessment mm-hmm. so that's a piece of it and something else to really pay attention to I think and I'm not sure if people fully realize this sometimes but a lot of the audits have been developed in a manufacturing setting for manufacturers and even the auditors themselves are are trained from first and foremost for manufacturing. And as we know in food safety and sustainability and social, it's all, it's very different game on farm. It's a totally different thing. And you need, there are, there are different skill sets needed potentially for, by the auditor, or at least like perspective. And, uh, and there's also, um, you know, differences in, in, Sometimes applying those requirements in a enclosed setting like that to a farm situation, it just doesn't always make sense. And even the ILO conventions were not designed specifically for agriculture. So there's adaptation that needs to happen. And so I would say um, paying attention to, uh, you know, who is this standard really for is an important piece. And and if it's not already, you know, well adapted for agriculture, keep pushing on that piece of it that we need to, we have a long way to go to make sure that these standards are genuinely suitable for agriculture and agriculture of all sizes and all around the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that, that in and of itself is why it took us five years to develop grass probably, <laughs> but it's a tall order. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Roberta, anything you think that we're missing or anything else you wanted to add? Hmm, I guess that I would just want to add that, you know, Global Gap. um, So I represent Global Gap North America, where we really focus on the needs of this market. We have a small but mighty team here, and we want people to know that we're accessible and and uh, and are there to answer questions. And we spend a lot of time thinking about how Global Gap's global solutions can best fit here and we put a lot of feedback into that system to make sure that we can continuously design pro- uh, programs that fit for um, growers here but also meet global expectations so uh, we just want people to know that we're we're available uh, to talk and and listen to their their needs 
Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Roberta. It's been great to, to chat with you. I know these are these are, are complex topics, so it's really helpful to, to have you walk us through some of these different areas. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks so much. So that was our conversation with Roberta. We hope you enjoyed it. In case you're new here, the podcast name is Tip of the Iceberg because this is just a taste of our coverage of the wonderful world of fresh produce. You can check us out on thepacker.com and producemarketguide.com and all over social media. A few recent episodes that have been particularly popular and that you may want to add to your library are a discussion about how the industry can tank the influence of the EWG's Dirty Dozen list, a deep dive on the economics of greenhouse growing with Nick Hushauer of private equity firm Equilibrium, and a discussion on merchandising fresh produce online, particularly generating impulse sales, with Scott Crawford, Chief Merchandising Officer for online grocery retailer Fresh Direct. Thanks again for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. <laughs>